And welcome to Rush the Field. I'm Jay Binkley. This is a full hour of nothing but college football talk. With me, as always, Julio Sanchez producing the operation. John Kurtz from Kansas State uh, came in in Manhattan. Sports director down there. Plus, he does the uh, Faithful to Our Colors podcast on the 435 Podcast Network. Uh, joins me about 815 to uh, give the latest on Kansas State football recruiting and just a quick peek at the AutoZone Liberty Bowl with Kansas State and Navy. 10-win Navy. It's going to be a good game with Kansas State. Then Gary Pinkle joins me about 830, the former uh, the all-time wins leader at the University of Missouri. Talk about Coach Drinkwitz. Gary Pinkle is there at the press conference. Matter of fact, Gary Pinkle in Columbia today. So uh, we'll talk to Coach about that. Then, of course, take a look ahead at some of these great uh, bowl games. I actually put uh, my top five, my top five bowl games in order. Because, you know, bowl season begins tomorrow, Leo. Buffalo and Charlotte tomorrow, 1 o'clock. The Bahamas Bowl. Makers, uh, The Makers wanted Bahamas Bowl. Why would you not want to? You're at Buffalo, snowing up there. You go to the Bahamas Bowl. Seriously. I mean, you could be in uh, Boise, Idaho for a bowl game or the Pinstripe Bowl in New York. Nothing wrong with New York. Not real great this time of year unless you go to Rockefeller Center and see the uh, Christmas tree and maybe uh, some ice skating. But you're in the Bahamas, man. There's nothing better than that uh, for these uh, college kids to go there. The Heisman Trophy was last weekend. Absolutely love this. Mahomes got a mention. Because he's one of the four quarterbacks that have gone uh, 3,000 and 1,000. Actually, Lamar Jackson did it twice at Louisville, threw one for 3,000 yards and running for at least 8,000 yards, which he's done for the Ravens this year. He's the all time single season leader in rushing in the NFL. No surprise with Lamar Jackson, a stud at Louisville, former Heisman Trophy winner. And of course, uh, Pat Mahomes did this at Texas Tech. Good for them to get the mention there. And not only that, but uh, Mike Garrett. Standing right up there, 1965 Heisman Trophy winner from USC. The former chief uh, carried the ball in a 65 toss power trap. Check out the football and barbecue podcast. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with Mike Garrett uh, over that, and we talked about that Heisman Trophy. He likes to go back there to the ceremony. Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, actually showed up as a past winner. But unanimous, not unanimous, 90% of the votes went to Joe Burrow, the quarterback at LSU that – he uh, topped uh, Drew Locke's touchdown record in the Southeastern Conference. It had a real Ohio State feel to the Heisman Trophy. As you had two representing uh, the Ohio State University of Justin Fields, the quarterback. Amazing year for him. Even though they averaged 36 points a game, margin of victory, Ohio State still put up ridiculous numbers. 50 touchdowns to one pick. Now, 10 of those were via the run. He went 40-1. and one. You talk about the difference in that. The fact that uh, Marcus Mariota once won the Heisman, 42 touchdowns, four interceptions, very impressive by Justin Fields. Then Chase Young, I think one of the most dominant defensive players we've seen at the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony in a long time. He even suspended two games, led the nation in sacks. Good to ch- see Chase Young there. And by the way, the Honey Badger for the Kansas City Chiefs finished fifth in the Heisman Trophy back in 2011. The Honey Badger was actually there at the ceremony. He was one of the guys that they were talking about there. And what they do is they see the votes. And they decide how many are going, four, five. It doesn't matter if it votes real close, they'll bring five. But they don't want to bring somebody that finishes well down in the votes. Joe Burrow ended up with 841 first-place votes, 2,608 points for Burrow. Jalen Hurts finishes second. Six first-place votes for Jalen Hurts. He got a lot of second and third-place votes. Justin Fields finished third, the quarterback at Ohio State. Chase Young finished fourth. Here's the interesting thing about it. 
He ends up with 20 first place votes. That is number two. And again, Joe Burrow, 841 first place votes. Jalen Hurts, six, but he finishes second. Justin Fields, six, but finished third. There's Chase Young, 20. He had the second most first place votes. A lot of people just saw the dominance that it was. But Joe Burrow um, wins the Heisman Trophy this year. It is my pleasure to announce the 2019 winner and 85th recipient of the Heisman Memorial Trophy is Joe Burrow, Louisiana State University. You set all those records in the SEC, all those offensive records. LSU was just an offensive juggernaut this year. And the other thing interesting about the Heisman Trophy, you're thinking about the transfers. Joe Burrow, a transfer from Ohio State. Talking about Ohio State, well, he was a transfer from Ohio State. Jalen Hurts, transfer from Alabama, 26-2 at Alabama before he went to Oklahoma. Justin Fields, the transfer from Georgia. Chase Young, the only non-transfer. And you need to think of some of these head coaches. Ed Orgeron, interim coach. They hired within the program. Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley was in the program. They promoted him to head coach. And, um, of course, the Ohio State guys, uh, uh, Coach Day was part of that program. They evaded him. So sometimes you don't even have to go outside the program to get that. But Joe Burrow uh, had quite the speech afterwards and uh, really captivated the audience. I'm just so thankful for, for LSU and Ohio State uh, playing at two of the, the best programs in the country. Great coaches, both places. It's my, my journey, I wouldn't have traded it for, for anything in the world. It was a journey for him to go. And the one thing about it is his dad's been a coach. For 51 years, he's at the Ohio, at Ohio University right now, or was. He took this year off. And who knows if he goes back to coaching or not, but he took the year off to go watch every one of Joe's games. Joe had two brothers play at the University of Nebraska. His dad played at the University of Nebraska. And you might say, why didn't he go to the University of Nebraska? Well, guess what they did not offer him? Last two head coaches at Nebraska, including Scott did not offer him that scholarship. And, of course, he thanked the state of Louisiana. I'd like to thank Louisiana, the entire state. Like I said earlier, just just a kid from Ohio coming down, chasing a dream. And the entire state has welcomed me and my family with, with open arms and, and invited us in to, to be native Louisianians. I've, I've learned to, to love crawfish and gumbo. And... Who doesn't, Joe? Who doesn't? That's the thing. Jonathan Taylor, the outstanding running back at Wisconsin, they probably could have won this thing in any other year. He beats Herschel Rock Walker's record for the most 200-yard uh, rushing games. Then J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State finished sixth. Think about this. The, the third, the fourth, and the sixth place in the Heisman Trophy all went to the Ohio State University. And again, if this team goes unscathed through the playoffs, it's going to be tough. With the playoff teams now, it's one of the top three college football teams of all time, just the way they've been playing. Not only that, Joe Burrow was at Ohio State. Think about all the Ohio State influence there. Trevor Lawrence, the uh, quarterback and the sophomore quarterback at Clemson, finishes seventh. Chuba Hubbard out of uh, Oklahoma State, who is going to play in the, in the bowl game, the Texas Bowl, nation's leading rusher, finished eighth. Travis Etienne, the running back at Clemson, finishes ninth. And Tua finishes tenth. Feel bad for Tua in that hip. Tua was probably going to win this thing. He was in place to win this game in Alabama's season, kind of crumpled when he went down. Uh, National Signing Day began yesterday. And the one thing about the National Signing Day is the third year of the new format. And the way they do it, it started yesterday. It actually ends tomorrow. It's Wednesday through Friday. Although, 
75 to 80% of the players sign on that first day. The second signing day is February 5th. Remember college football used to have that one signing day. Now there's two. I'll get Coach Pinkle's uh, thoughts on this as well because he didn't have to deal with this. But it's the early signing period. This is why Coach Drinkwitz, he had to be busy. As soon as he uh, had that press conference to be the head coach, got on a jet, he was out recruiting. Because it's important for Missouri to get on that trail. Think about this. This is where rivals in 247, the uh, two best uh, recruiting sites, uh, rated the schools. KU, believe it or not, the top recruiting school in the area. KU finishes 38th in the country right now in rivals. These things are subject to change. And, of course, February 5th, they'll swing. Although most of the signings are now K-State, 42nd. Missouri comes in at 71st. Again, take that with a grain of salt. When you lose coaches this late in the recruiting process, it can hamper you to some. Now, 247 has Kansas 47th, Kansas State 49th, Missouri 81st. So, once again, Les Miles and KU leads uh, the local programs. I thought this was interesting. In-state Missouri, Jay Macklin is related to Jeremy Macklin. Committed to Missouri out of the top 10 in the state of Missouri for high school recruits. They get number 10. But how about Minnesota and P.J. Fleck? Yeah, the guy that wears the shirt and tie looks like Mr. Rogers, coach in Minnesota. Number five player in the state of Missouri, Itavian Brown, outside linebacker from St. Louis. Number 15, Jalen Logan Redding committed there. He went to school at Columbia Rockbridge. Right there in Columbia, Missouri, P.J. Fleck got him out of there. And not only that, the number 18th recruit in the state of Missouri going there. And then the state of Kansas, don't laugh, P.J. Fleck did it to you too. He's got the number two recruit in the state of Kansas, Daniel Jackson, the wide receiver from Bishop Miege. And the number three, the Kai Thomas, the running back out of Topeka, all going up to see P.J. Fleck. Now, things are looking better for Kansas State in the 2021 recruiting class. They're looking real good, to be quite honest with you. But as far as Missouri is concerned, this is what they were doing. They got free, they got decommitments. A four-star from St. Louis offensive lineman Jalen St. John, three-star Texas defensive end Robert Wooten, three-star, uh, I mentioned Jalen there, three-star recruit out of uh, Columbia Rockbridge. Eight all decided to transfer from the University of Missouri. As a matter of fact, um, they lost them to Illinois, uh, Minnesota, not good. So National Signing Day, as I said, 77% of the players committed on Wednesday. The next one will be the fifth. I look for Missouri to change that. Uh, Coach Drinkwitz has been busy uh, filling the coaching staff. Some members are on the staff from his uh, staff at uh, Appalachian State. They did retain Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator that's been in Missouri. Missouri's defense was very good this year. 14th in the country in defense, total defense, 17th in scoring defense this year. So they retain Ryan Walters as defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri. So Missouri, busy doing that for K-State. It's about uh, building up. There's three uh, JUCOs players on there. Last year, they went heavy in the running back game, except for Harry Trotter, who's got two years to transfer from Louisville. But K-State went heavy on the JUCO transfer, something you have to do in the beginning to get those guys. But K-State inked 13 players, and we'll talk about them with John Kurtz coming up in just a second. But K-State... The only local program going to a bowl game. Missouri's actually bowl eligible when they beat Arkansas. But the problem there is the NCAA still has that bowl ban on the University of Missouri. But it would have been a mess anyway. Especially if they, in their heart of hearts, they were going to move on from uh, Coach Barry Odom. It is tough to get the uh, fan base fired up. 
when you got an uh, interim coach at that point, which would have been coaching the University of Missouri. Uh, but Eli Drinkwitz, now the head coach of Mizzou, he'll call his own plays. He comes over from Appalachian State. Think about this. This guy was an assistant in high school in 2009, just 10 years ago. Now he's coaching an SEC program. Unbelievable rise for Eli Drinkwitz. But coming up next, we'll talk about that recruiting class for Kansas State University. All thing Wildcats next. Welcome back to Rush the Field, as we usually do. We talk Kansas State with the one and only John Kurtz, Ed J.L. Kurtz, on Twitter, sports director at K-Man in Manhattan, also the host of the Faithful to Our Colors podcast, in which uh, the latest one he has as Dean Wade uh, joins him on that. You can find that on demand, or excuse me, on the 435 Podcast Network, 610sports.com. What's up, John? Hey, what's going on, Jay? How are you? Hey, you know what? i tell you what, uh, knee-deep in recruiting like you are, uh, it's always nice. This is, what, the third year? We've had the early signing period. Is that right? Third, third year, right? I think so. Yeah, third year. Yeah, I think that's right. I, you know yeah. what? I was trying to talk about that yesterday, and I had to stop myself. I was like, year two, year three. I'm still not used to it. That's no, what I know. I'm still I'm not, not used to it being this early. Well, it started yesterday. It ends Friday, the early signing period. The second one on February 5th. They say 75% to 80% of the recruits do sign uh, on that first Wednesday. So it gets it kind of out of the way for the coaches. And, you know, clearly uh, new coaches like, uh, you know, Coach Drinkwitz down in Missouri, you know, still some work to do. That's why looking at the recruiting rankings right now, probably not. To, you can't really look at them, I don't think, until February 5th. That's where things kind of settle down. But there was a recruiting class uh, from Coach Kleiman. He he's went to Florida. He got some of the local kids out of the Kansas City area all the way to Atlanta, Tallahassee, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, and a lot of Texas so Chris Kleiman really spreading uh, the roots across the country. Yeah, they've done a great job. And this is, speaking of the, the change in the signing period, this is really the first time in earnest that K-State has had a class come in this way because two years ago with Bill Snyder, it was still kind of an antiquated way of doing things. He was always very hesitant to come around to wanting to offer kids earlier and earlier as that's the way football started to move. So K-State didn't really recruit like a modern program does. Then last year, obviously the new staff was doing that, but Chris Kleinman was hired in December, so there was not much time for him to hit the ground running and get going. So they had some nice wins toward the end of last year, but it was not enough to make a real significant dent uh, in the class from a ranking standpoint. Now you're seeing the first full year where at least this staff did have a year to go through the entire recruiting cycle and recruit kids, and they come out with a class that, if you look at rivals, ranked 42nd in the country, which is a pretty significant upgrade. That's uh, K-State's highest-ranked class in a decade and um, was as high as 39. I know yesterday I think some of the reshuffling has, has knocked that down as kids came in later and later throughout the day yesterday. But I think K-State did a really good job, and they pulled some signing day surprises and really last week before signing day surprises where they got six commitments in the span of three days, Monday through Wednesday, and that really, to me, showed a lot of great progress for this class, not just from a number standpoint, what it does, but the fact that they were able to sell what they did throughout the season, which was winning eight games, and have that push forward the class late, especially after they had a couple kids at corner and defensive back not really be able to make it because of grades. They actually upgraded really what they have in, in high school corner talent with what they did with a late push. So they just put their backs against the wall. They did a tremendous job, I thought, with this class, and 
they're already off to a hot start in 2021 where they have three of the top four kids in the state of Kansas, according to rivals, committed already. So it seems like things are really moving in the right direction. And that's the one direction that they had to go because P.J. Fleck, as we've talked about, the best running back in the state of Kansas out of Topeka and the, and the receiver out of Bishop E. H. going to Minnesota, but, of course, late to the ball, as you say, 2021. A bit different to to get those in-state kids. Now, I have a question for you. Do you think he's going to go the route of the JUCO at all? Because I know last year he had to go that route, and I understand that. That's the way you uh, build a program. Running backs like James Gilbert, Jordan Brown, Harry Trotter that comes in, although they'll get Harry Trotter again next season. But do you you expect the JUCO route? Because Kansas so talented with the JUCOs in the state. I think they're always going to utilize it some, um, but I think it will be – probably a little bit less than what was happening with Bill Snyder. I think this staff really wants it to be, if we're recruiting a Juco kid, it's because we think he has an opportunity to start next year. This is not like building depth. This is we need a starter. Uh, They did sign five junior college players um, with yesterday's class, and a lot of that's on the offensive and defensive line, which is where they need immediate help because they're losing a a couple defensive ends. They're losing Trey Deshaun. They're starting defensive tackle. Um, They're losing basically the entire offensive line. So that's a place where they had to go get some help, and they got an interior offensive lineman. K-State really would have preferred to add a junior college offensive tackle as well, but unfortunately that didn't really come through, and they may still be pushing for that if there is one available uh, in the late signing period. But uh, they also got a corner, and that's a spot where they're losing two of their top three corners this year, so they have an immediate opening there. They're trying to fill some gaps. What they inherited was a roster that was pretty heavy on seniors. K-State had a bunch of seniors last year. I believe it was 27 scholarship seniors. And then they have a lot of freshmen and sophomores, but not much in between. So they are still having to plug probably more gaps than they'd like to with the junior college ranks right now. Um, the, the big focus, I think, is going to be Kansas City. We're already seeing that, and that's obviously going to be the prep ranks. And if they get that going over the next three or four years and actually balance out the classes and build quality depth, you may see it turn into just a one, two, maybe three junior college prospects per year in an ideal world. But they, I don't think they're afraid to go the JUCO route, especially when, like you said, you do have uh, some of the best junior college players in the country in your backyard. Kansas State inks 23 uh, yesterday, one of those uh, names is Will Howard. He's a dual threat quarterback, three star kid out of Downington, Pennsylvania. Um, so they go that route again. You know, that guy that can run, throw. Obviously, Bill Snyder valued that uh, that in a in a quarterback that can do two things. But uh, they get their quarterback in Will Howard. They do, and I think K State is in a very good position at quarterback right now because of that. They have Jaron Lewis from last year, who was out of Columbia, that I know they like. Um, but Will Howard is a slightly higher pedigree recruiting-wise. And K-State actually got Will Howard because Chubba Purdy, who is the brother of Brock Purdy, got down to K-State and Louisville, wound up choosing Louisville in what was a pretty tight recruiting battle, and then he flipped to Florida State on signing day. So K-State actually, I think, dodged a bullet with the way some of the dominoes fell at quarterback in getting Will Howard. Um, He's a guy they really like. He's a guy that has a, a bit of a connection to the program in that Chris Kleiman mentioned it yesterday at his press conference that uh, Carson Wentz is the guy that Will Howard grew up idolizing. So mm-hmm. I think that helped uh, sell him on K-State when that recruitment was playing out. Um, Kansas was one of the schools that was heavily involved. Maryland was heavily involved with him. So it was a nice recruiting win for K-State. And I think getting some of these younger quarterbacks in the program, developing them in this system uh, is, is the way that they are going to go. 
Um, and Skylar Thompson still has a year to help tutor Will Howard. So I think you have to feel pretty good about the, the future of the quarterback position in case they still recruiting quarterbacks for 2021. So, I, well, I think Will Howard is a good prospect and somebody they like and think can be the quarterback of the future. They're also not just going to stop and, and sit back and rest on their laurels with that. K-State's actually in a decent spot with a four-star quarterback in the 2021 class. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But they are definitely a staff that values the quarterback position. And I think some of it maybe that philosophy like you think about in the NFL. If you don't have your franchise quarterback, it makes sense to just draft a quarterback every year and, and see what you have and see what happens. Talking to John Kurtz, K-Man in Manhattan. And, uh, John, you said the magic words right there. We're seeing the Carson Wentz effect. I remember talking to Coach Kleiman about that uh, as soon as he came in the studio here uh, when he was hired. And I said, that doesn't hurt you. Uh, for a guy like Carson Wentz, the coach at North Dakota State. Well, he idolized them. Obviously, this kid's from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. The whole thing makes sense. But there's the Carson Wentz effect. Exactly. And not only that, but he can also sell Easton Stick, who was a draft pick last year by the – the San Diego Chargers. So uh, Chris Kleiman, you know, you, it's sneaky. You wouldn't think, okay, defensive-minded coach who was at North Dakota State has this great quarterback who he needs to sell, but he really does. And Skylar Thompson, uh, it's probably not as visible because he's not a guy that's in the NFL right now, but Skylar Thompson took giant strides by any kind of measure with what he did last season. In particular, if you look at his pro football focus grades, he took a pretty – steady hike up this year and what he did. So I think that's going to be another nice bargaining chip for him to uh, to be able to use to sell to, to quarterbacks in the future. So, yeah, I, I suppose uh, Coach Kleiman is probably pulling hard for the Eagles uh, coming up this Sunday and get them to win the division and get back into the playoffs and some more exposure for Carson Wentz. But uh, Carson is definitely a guy that really likes and respects Coach Kleiman and Gene Taylor. Going back to when Gene Taylor was hired as K-State's AD, uh, Carson Wentz was somebody who was uh, publicly praising that. So uh, clearly there's a tight bond between those guys, and it never hurts to be able to pull that out when you're recruiting. Any more buzz on the AutoZone Liberty Bowl coming up on December 31st against uh, a really good Navy team, as we've talked about, and we talked about Kansas State where they preferred to go in the bowl game. Again, this is a drivable game, but facing a very good 10-2 and uh, Navy midshipman team. Yeah, I mean, they, boy, Malcolm Perry, their quarterback, looks very, very good. Uh, you can see that in the Army game. Um, I think the team at first was disappointed because they, they definitely did not expect that they were going to wind up in the Liberty Bowl. But I think as time has gone on, much as it has, even with myself and some of the fans that were really disappointed about all of it, you, you just kind of get over it, and now you want to go win the game. Uh, and I think K-State definitely respects Navy. I mean, Gene Taylor spent – over a decade at Navy as an associate AD, and mm-hmm. so he's very tight with with the coaching staff, obviously, and Chris Kleiman. So if there were any there were any doubts about whether or not K State is going to respect Navy, I mean, I think Gene Taylor could help take care of a lot of that. And, and the good thing that I would say about facing the offense that K State is going to see in in the triple option is that Scotty Hazelton as defensive coordinator. Let's see, like last year at Wyoming, he went up against Air Force. Um, you also have. Chris Kleiman with experience against, he said it was Georgia Southern, I believe, and FCS that ran the same offense. So there are some coaches that K-State has on staff that have dealt with this kind of a thing before. So it's not going to be totally foreign. And it is a bowl game where you have more time to prepare. I think to me the frustrating part about it, as Kleiman did say yesterday, they probably haven't spent as much time on 
developing future players in bowl practice as they would like to because it's a new, such a new offense that you're having to learn to prepare against. And that's part of why I didn't like the matchup, but it is what it is. And I think they do have K-State's attention. And I would anticipate you're going to get a pretty good effort out of the Cats. No question about it. Malcolm Perry, you did mention the senior quarterback uh, for Navy, over 1,000 yards passing, but he's got 1,800 yards on the ground, 6.8 per carry and 21 touchdowns. So looking forward to that game, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, coming up December 31st. You hear that game right here on 610 Sports Radio and the Radio.com app. John Kurtz joins us, K-Man in Manhattan. He's the program director down there. Follow him on Twitter at JL Kurtz. Puts out the Faithful to Our Colors podcast, everything Kansas State. Find that at 610sports.com on the 435 Podcast Network. John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time and joining me tonight. Hey, anytime, Jay. Thank you. Here's John Kurtz coming up next. Will be Gary Pinkle. Kind of an interesting thing. Coach Drinkwitz talked about uh, the new head coach at University of Missouri and talked about how he went and saw Coach Pinkle and how the uh, as a coach when he had a recruit. That's typically what happens. The coach and the recruit come there, but it's a uh, it's been a hell of a rise. I mean, 2009, your assistant coach coaching uh, high school football. Now you're coaching in the SEC. So we'll talk to Gary Pinkle about that, and we'll look at signing day as well. Gary, a fan of this early signing period or not? Find out. Gary Pinkle next. Welcome back. Joining us now, uh, Coach Gary Pinkle. Go to GaryPinkle.com, pick up the book, The 100-Yard Journey, forward by uh, Nick Saban. Dave Matter wrote it with him. I know that uh, I've given this book out. As a Christmas gift, I hope you can too, as well. Coach Pinkle, uh, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great, doing great. All right, Coach, i got to ask you a few things. I was pretty much done talking about Missouri with you, but then you had to go hire a new coach. And uh, Eli Drinkwitz, you were down there um, at the press conference for Coach, and he even mentioned you. And uh, he were, Did you remember him? Because he said, uh, Coach, I don't know if he remembers me or not, but here's a guy that came with a high school recruit. Back in 2009, when he was with uh, Springdale, Arkansas, do you remember the encounter? Well, somebody else reminded me of that because I, I remember when his name his name's a little bit unusual, and so I just remembered it because I'd met him before. I didn't know where. And then someone told me, and then it all came back to me. You know, I have zillions of coaches bring their players and sure. see me over the years uh, at the office and, and, our, and our practices and things like that. So, but certainly a guy that I think. Uh, uh, we did very very well at the uh, at the press conference, and you know I know that doesn't that does it as a difference maker. But at the end of the day, I think most people came came away from that in very positive uh, positive feelings. Yeah, I think it does. Though I'll be honest with you, I think when when uh, you know parents sit around, they watch the news or whatever, they see the press conference, you know, that, that, and the kids as well. You got to impress everybody. You got to impress mom, dad. You got to impress the kids and. Eli Drinkwitz certainly seems like uh, the type of guy that, uh, that that's about recruiting. You got to be likable uh, for parents to send their kids to your school, and he sounds like he's got that down. Yeah, it really does, and he's I mean, he's got a plan. I think he's a guy, he's a offensive guy. He's going to call all the offensive plays. He's kind of a you know one of those kind of guys. Um, and like Lincoln Riley, the head coach of Oklahoma, they're similar. Mm-hmm. I think they're similar uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, I think that uh, you know, I, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, he can he can have that kind of success. But uh, uh, I was just very impressed. I was very impressed with him and and you know, kind of the direction he wanted the program to go. And that he contacted all the players, had a meeting with them prior to the press conference. Those that weren't there, he called on the phone, 
because that transition is going to be important. But um, and his background is such that uh, I think he's uh, I think he's ready for this, and uh, and I think he's looking forward to it. I tell you what, it's got to be tough, Coach, because you know you see him coming into Columbia on a plane. He's not recruiting right after that. I mean, there's there's no time to rest. There's no time to unpack. It's go time with this early signing period. Well, yeah, and and we just had the signing period yesterday. For the mm-hmm. most part, I think we did was good. But there's no question about it. I remember my first game head coach. Oh my gosh, you you run about two months on adrenaline. You know, you you work, you get up, start working at six o'clock in the morning, and you're and you're done at ten. You fall asleep and you wake up and do it again and again and again until it's a Saturday or Sunday, and you sleep for fourteen hours because you're just completely exhausted. But I say that in a very positive way too. But you got to hire a staff. You got your players coming back in a few weeks. What are you going to do with them? Oh, you got to have a who, who's going to who's going to run the, uh, the player development side of your program. Uh, you know, I think you know that you, there's just a zillion things got to get done. You just got to cross them off one at a time. Obviously, staff is very, very important because that's you can also start looking those guys up with the existing players and getting on the phone, talking to them. You know, getting them used used to know them and all the trust and everything that goes with that. Um, but I think overall, certainly, uh, it's it was. Uh, I think he's going to do a really good job. Seems like that's the direction the game is going, Coach. You're an offensive guy, and it seems like everybody's looking for that new offensive guy. And I mean, we see it in the National Football League uh, with a lot of coaches getting opportunities uh, to coach that might not have got those opportunities, you know, ten years ago. But just the direction of the sport of football, always looking for that offensive uh, a genius, so to speak. And that seems to be the direction football's going. I could be wrong, but it seems like more and more teams in universities, uh, NFL teams, you name it, wants that offensive guy. Yeah, offensive. You know, the offense sells tickets. The defense probably helps win most games. But at the end of the day, I think he is. I think he's a guy that loves offensive football. You can see his passion about that a little bit. You know, he was he was the offensive coordinator and and at uh, and, and a quarterback coach, I believe, in North Carolina State for uh, a couple of years. Uh, but he's got a real good background there. And he goes back to Auburn and some other people at Texas Tech. And things like that, and so it's really neat to uh, see this. This, you know, he just he just looked like he's. They asked him who's going to call plays. He said, "I'm going to call plays," and you know, I'm going to be the offensive coordinator. And you know, he just said it kind of glowing because that sounds like that's his deal. What goes along with that, though, is certainly during the football season. Now, you got to make sure you have to really good to have director of football operations. Maybe have one or two people in that position to make sure they can operationally make you know this whole thing run. This whole this whole uh, football team and all that goes into building a team, uh, you got to make sure that, that gets done. And so I'm sure he's pretty smart about that. He'll talk to some other people that that are that are head coaches uh, that call plays also. And um, I think that's going to I think that excites a lot of people too. Um, and so you know that's we'll see we'll see where it goes. But certainly uh, you know it's, it's, I think all the fans should be excited about it. It's interesting to me that he was that high school coach that brought in a recruit, and I know you see a lot of that. You had no idea that this guy eventually is going to be taking over the wheels at the University of Missouri. I, I like these stories, Coach, and it seems like more and more. you got to know when that time to jump is. Like I've seen the high school coach that, you know, he's just happy being that high school coach. It's what he wants to do. And then I've seen guys like Greg Williams, you know, from around the area in Excelsior Springs, you know, coach high school football, and he made the jump. You know, and, of course, uh, the rest is history, National Football League and all that, but – I think that's the toughest thing in guys' mind. I mean, with Coach Drinkwitz, it's incredible what he's done in the last decade, go from that level to the level of coaching a team in the SEC. But one of those things, Coach, I guess it's a tough decision 
when to make the jump and when not to. You got to really know when to do it. Well, I think yeah, I think that's the that's kind of the conversation. I hope we have this conversation in about six years and talk about you know this guy uh, moved up and he, and, and he moved up because he's in really fast, like you said, because he is. You look at his resume and it's kind of interesting to look at. But I hope this, I hope the conversation is at that time the reason the reason you know he was uh, he he is he that we moved up is because he's so good. And that's the reason behind it. Not that he was lucky or knew the right people, sure. things like that. He was just very, very good at what he did. And, you know, that'll be a nice conversation to have, you know, five, six, six years from now if that, if that is actually true. Yeah, I tell you what, Coach, last thing for you. I am curious. You didn't have to deal with this, but the, the early signing period starts uh, yesterday, goes through Friday. Then there's another one in February. And it's interesting because most of the guys, I think 75 to 80% of the guys signed that first day. Would you have liked this if you were coaching this early signing period? What year three were in this new system? No, I would never. I would never like this early signing period. Not it's not not the way it's designed right now. You know, those guys. You know, the young coaches really don't care. But you know, you get the older coaches, guys that are in their fifties and up. You know, you got no. You know, I'm thinking. I keep hearing about is you have no uh, family life. It you know, doesn't exist. And I think you know a combination of of uh, you know. The hard work that you're putting in and everything else that, that, that you go through, um, I don't particularly like it. They did a pretty good job. They kept the kids in the state. I think that was a real smart move on his part. You know, you didn't take away scholarships, which is really smart. It's really good. And um, uh, it, it, I, you know, they got a chance to continue to recruit right now. So, you know, they got a recruiting, you know, what's going to be the recruiting philosophy, what's going to be their recruiting evaluation. Uh, what is their, you know, where, what are they going to be do it by areas? Going to do it by position? There's just a lot of things ringing the bell here, and those are these many, many, many decisions that he's going to have to make in the next, uh, in the next, you know, four weeks to six months to eight months as he puts his whole program in. Uh, Coach, I can't thank you enough. He coach has got a book out. It's, uh, I definitely recommend reading this. I have. I enjoyed it. I know my dad, my family that I've given the book to enjoys it too. The 100-Yard Journey, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, easiest place to get it. It's GaryPinkle.com. There's a tab for it uh, right there in the front, or GPMade.com, Coach's Foundation. You can find that book that uh, Coach and Dave Matter wrote. Um, it's great stuff, and we have Christmas right around the corner. And speaking of that, Coach, uh, I wish you and your family uh, a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate that we had a good time all year doing this, and hopefully we can do it again next year. And, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, and all the folks in Kansas City and and keep rooting here for Mizzou and obviously uh, for the Chiefs. God bless you. Thank you, Coach. Take care. A lot of fun having Coach uh, Gary Pinkle on this year. Really enjoyed the conversation. All-time wins leader at Toledo, all-time wins leader at the University of Missouri. Really enjoyed his insight uh, this year. We're not stopping the show. We're going all the way till the end of the national championship game, and we'll wrap things up for the college football season then. But I'm staying with you guys. Staying with you all the way through the playoffs because we're going to have a lot of fun on this show as we switch uh, more of a national gear now that National Signing Day is kind of out of the way for the local schools. We come back, I'll take a look at some of these top bowl games. we got bowl season starting tomorrow. we do that next. Welcome back to Russia Field. I'm Jay Binkley with Julio Sanchez producing the operation. Big thanks to John Kurtz, K-Man in Manhattan, talking all things Kansas State. And Coach Gary Pinkle talking about uh, Coach Drinkwitz and what he's going to bring to the table. Heard that comparison with Lincoln Riley several times. 
They can hope it's that way. Here's the thing about it. I, I like the hire because I like going outside the box a little bit. No harm, no foul. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, you switch it up again. I, I do believe Missouri's a great job. You're the only Division One team in the state this size. I mean, the state of Iowa. A lot less populated Missouri. Two Division Ones with Iowa and Iowa State. Kansas, again, same thing. Less populated than Missouri. You had Kansas and Kansas State. You're sitting right there between Kansas City and St. Louis. I think it's going to be a good job. I can't wait to see what uh, Coach Drinkwitz does down there. And again, he's been late to the eight bowl because Missouri has had some decommits. And that's what happens when Barry Odom, you know, gets run from the university and you hire a new coach. Guys make up their mind and maybe choose the other school. Maybe it came down to one or two schools. That's typically what happens. Those that decommit, again, go for the, the go for the coach instead of the program. And that's the big thing. Because I remember, you know, talking to several players, you know, that went to Kansas or whatever, and they went there because of the coach. They went there because they liked Charlie Weiss. And that's the only reason they went there, back when Charlie was there. You know, he had that cachet. Tom Brady, Coach Tim, all that was Coach Notre Dame. That was appealing to some. Very few times do kids go to the school because they like that school. A lot of times, you know, you'll see the legacies, but even legacies don't go there. Ezekiel Elliott uh, right here from Missouri was a, was a legacy. University of Missouri, he goes to Ohio State. You do see this from time to time. Joe Burrow, legacy in Nebraska. He ends up at LSU. So it does happen, but the coach, guys go play for the coach. Just think about all the guys who went for Urban Meyer. You know, Urban Meyer was in Florida, took that time off, was on ESPN. You telling me that wasn't a power play? You could do that, do whatever the hell you want. And now that you're a, a national face on TV, I understand why these coaches go to Fox or ESPN, you name it, because it gives them visibility. And that's big in the recruiting world. You see these recruiting videos now. These people, these kids are putting out videos. I've even seen Division II videos for kids committing to different schools. Why not have a little bit of fun? I get that. It's a big decision. But now with the transfer portal, coaches can't block you from transferring wherever you go. So there is that fail-safe for kids now. They do have to sit out sometimes, although like um, Jared Deggy, the coach, the quarterback at West Virginia, was able to transfer straight from Bowling Green, second in that conference in the, in the MAC in passing yards and touchdowns last year because the coach was ran. So he was able to leave as well. So we got kind of a hardship thing on that. But the rivals' rankings came out. Keep in mind, signing day still goes through tomorrow, even, even though about 75 to 80% of the commits have signed at this point. Still a lot of verbals out there, especially from the locals. Mentioned Daniel Jackson, the wide receiver, Bishop Miege, Kai Thomas, the running back out at the peak of verbal commits at this point. They haven't committed. They don't have to until February 5th. You can't commit up until tomorrow. Then it stops. Then February 5th, it reignites. And that's when coaches get the lifeblood of their organization. The football commits. KU, though. Ranked 38th in rivals, Kansas State 42, Missouri 71. And again, Missouri going through the coaching change, obviously why they slid a little bit because of the decommitments, including losing a player right there at Columbia Rockbridge. 247, Kansas 47 ranking, Kansas State 49, Missouri 81. I'll tell you this though, gotta watch that PJ Fleck at University of Minnesota. Been out here recruiting Kansas City extremely well. The uh, playoffs this year, it's going to be fun. LSU against Oklahoma, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And that'll be on December 28th at 3 o'clock. Then that night, Clemson, Ohio State, Fiesta Bowl 
7 o'clock that night on December 28th, championship game, not until Monday, January 13th at 7 o'clock. The funny thing is, part of the reason they didn't want to go to the playoffs in the beginning was these kids have school. Well, through December, these kids do not have school when they're out there practicing. And now you have 42 bowl games, so you have 84 teams out of a possible 130 still practicing through the month of December. So it's kind of counterproductive in that argument when 1AA, Division II, Division Three, even the NAIA, they do what's called playoffs. Now, I was glad when the NCAA decided to do the playoffs. I love this field, the field of LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. You're talking a bunch of undefeateds except one loss, Oklahoma. Give me this all day. I wish we'd get the eight teams in the college football playoff, but I love the four that we have now. It's an actual playoff. You're not worrying about the BCS. Or even before you had the BCS, when you might have a champion in the Rose Bowl, split a championship with the team from the Citrus Bowl. That's just the way things happen with the conference affiliations. The uh, Sugar Bowl this year, Georgia against Baylor. Oregon, Wisconsin will be your Rose Bowl. And those games will be on uh, January 1st, Florida uh, versus Virginia in the Capital One Orange Bowl. Not exactly an appealing game. They're Florida, by the way. Bad recruiting class they have. And how about USC? Only 11 commits at this point for Clay Helton. Need to get on that. That game will be Monday, December 30th. Uh, Minnesota will face Auburn in the Outback Bowl. Now, these are my favorite bowls outside kind of the, the sugar, the rose. But keep in mind, take these games with a grain of salt because a lot of the big-time talent decides to skip these games. Number 18, Minnesota. Number 12, Auburn. I love this Big Ten SEC matchup in the Outback Bowl. This is on uh, January 1st. At noon, I really like the number 17 Memphis, number 10 Penn State game. That's the Cotton Bowl on uh, the the 28th of December. I really like number 15 Notre Dame against Iowa State, the Camping World Bowl. I know a lot of K-State fans wanted to play in that game, go down to Orlando. Kansas State, in their bowl history, they've never played a bowl game in the state of Florida. I think that's a big reason why they wanted to go there and play Notre Dame. You know what? Kansas State is an argument. They beat Iowa State. They have one more win than Iowa State, but they thought Iowa State would travel extremely well down the floor. And we know how well Iowa State travels for basketball. I guess we'll see this in football, whether they do or not. I think a lot of K-State fans will make that trip uh, to Memphis to face Navy. It's a drivable distance to Memphis. I like the Oklahoma State game against A&M. Again, Big 12 versus former Big 12 team. And A&M's a, a sneaky team. Think about this. This is Texas A&M's losses this year. Clemson, Bama, Georgia, and LSU. Two of those teams are in the college football playoffs, and Alabama has been in there every year but this year, and they only have two losses. That's crazy. It's the Academy Sports Outdoors Bowl. That's one of my favorite bowl games as well this year. And also, I really like this uh, uh, Valero Mo Alamo Bowl. Uh, Utah, 11th in the country. Utah slipping up. Well, they've slipped up twice this year. They slipped up once to uh, USC when they didn't have their leading running back, Zach Moss. He got hurt in that game. And against Texas. And Texas, one of the biggest disappointments in the Big 12 this year. But that game will be on December 31st. So I'm looking forward to the Alamo Bowl as well. I was talking a little bit about this week, the coaching situations. I think when we looked at the local programs, and you would say it's climbing, Les Miles, and then Barry Odom, back when Barry was at Mizzou. And the one thing about Les Miles is, you may argument, those that are Kansas fans, he's got the ring. He's got the championship. But I'd go Chris Kleiman. I know he was coach at 1AA, North Dakota State. Did have two quarterbacks in the pros, Carson Wentz and the Easton Stick. 
So he knows how to do that. And obviously, he's a pretty good recruiter, too, because they've really loaded up that next class for 2021. But the way I look at it now, we don't know about Eli Drinkwitz. He's a great coach. He did a great thing in Appalachian State. More wins than anybody in the history of uh, North Carolina Division I football. So we'll see how well he does at Mizzou. But think about this. Like, bless Miles. I get it. He's got the flash. He's got the pizzazz. I don't know if you saw that video out the other day, but Les Miles sitting there sledding at Kansas at the booth. He was out there doing it. Les has got that. Les has got a draw. Let's face it. Les would charm your parents if he walks in that door. He would. But I think Kansas needs the Chris Kleiman around next. That stability. Because I don't think Chris Kleiman's going anywhere. I think he's going to be at Kansas State. I don't see him as a, a leapfrog, uh, you know, jumping lily pads like frogs. I don't see him doing that. He seems like a guy that might sit there and see the program through. And again, four national championships at North Dakota State. He won three as an assistant coach. One as a true assistant and two as a defensive coordinator with Craig Bull. He understands how to elevate a program, take a program into prominence. But I think that's what Kansas needs next time. You know, they bring in Jeff Long as AD. He's a football guy by nature. Doesn't have to worry about basketball. That's Bill Self's job. But they need to raise $300 million. I think they got most of that now. Because what happens if the Big 12 dissolves? Big 12, the only power conference without a national TV contract. So who knows what happens? But you become more. Now, the basketball team will open eyes and probably get them in any conference they want. But having that football program as well, huge for Kansas. But Chris Kleiman really liked what he did. The team was picked ninth in the Big 12 this year and looked at the exceeded expectations, the only local team going to a bowl game. So hats off to Chris Kleiman and the great job he did at Kansas State this year. They Kansas State, some people were skeptical. It's tough when you go in and replace Bill Steiner. I think he's done a great job there. But Kansas, Les Miles, I understand why you go that direction. You need to build this program up, but it's passing it on to the next guy, which I think they need to do like a Chris Kleiman type of guy. And Eli Drinkwitz, we'll see. I'm excited to watch what he brings to the University of Missouri. He's going to be calling his own plays, offensive mind, and I like the story. The guy that was assistant coach in high school now down there. Thanks to John Kurtz. Thanks to Gary Pinkle. Thanks to Julio Sanchez producing the operation. See you guys in the morning. Rush the field with Jay Binkley.